Hey everyone, and welcome to The Rational Republican, a podcast where we look at complex issues facing us here in Oregon and around the nation. We'll try to address issues from a nonpartisan perspective and view our disagreements through a lens of respect rather than tribalism or divisiveness. I'm James Ball. This is Nick Perlosky. Hey listeners, how we doing? Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503 558 6349 or slash portland On this episode of the podcast, we have Jeff Helfrich. He is a former state representative from the Hood River area and current candidate for that same seat. So, Jeff, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks guys for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, we are in a, an airplane hangar out here in Hood River. Um <laughs> I didn't actually realize that Hood River had an airport, but here we are. <laughs> There's airports everywhere across there are the airports. state. That's yeah. a good point. Um, so why don't you just give us a, a little bit of bio on who you are, how you got here, how you got involved in politics. Okay. Uh, just kind of your two-minute bio. My little spiel I'll give you. So yeah. I um, I grew up in uh, Colorado, Nebraska. I spent a lot of time on the family farm in Nebraska and helped there. I followed in our family footsteps, military heritage. My uh, dad was in the Air Force. My grandfather Excuse me, my great uncle was in the uh, army along with a lot of my other relatives and they're part of that greatest generation. And, um, so I decided I wasn't sure what I want to do with my life. I didn't know, I didn't think I wanted to be a farmer, but, uh, <laughs> it was on the table. It's not, so not for everyone. It's no, not well, for everyone. It, it's a good, it's a good <laughs> job. Uh, it's, you know, you're doing stuff, but I, I wanted to go out and experience something. I want to go do something. And I did. And I joined the air force and, uh, ended up uh, becoming a canine law enforcement uh, puppy dog guy. Or cool. It, uh, it, my main focus in the military was the law enforcement function, but as a dog handler, explosive detection was my primary mission mm. for finding explosives. Yeah. So that took me, you know, far and wide. I got to do Secret Service detail with uh, then uh, Vice President uh, Bush and then President Bush. Uh, wow. Took me to on the campaign trail. I then went to Honduras. Was down there mm. and got to see what real poverty looks like and what a, mm. a, a third world country is like and how. How lucky we are to live in where we we live at in America. Uh, then we ended up uh, back at Fairchild for a little while. Uh, then this guy called Saddam Hussein decided to invade Kuwait, <laughs> and then uh, then came the war. I uh, got deployed to Saudi Arabia, and then on in um, where we were at there. Uh, probably the I say this when you're in the middle of a war between everything that goes on, but I got to be the security detail for Bob Hope. And that was a really cool, oh, cool. thing. And I remember as a kid watching him on TV yeah. in World War II, Korea and Vietnam, just seeing those old reruns. I'm like, this is that guy I got to see on TV. <laughs> yeah. He was, he's funnier in person than he was on TV. And it's pretty neat. And so I knew I wanted to be a police officer. And then there was the, uh, I decided it wasn't going to reenlist. I wanted to become a civilian uh, police officer. Ended up, Applying a couple of different places and uh, actually actually moved back to Colorado thinking I'd, get, I'd stay there kind of where my family was at. But I got a phone call from the Portland Police Bureau and said, hey, you're on our list to hire. Uh, are you interested in coming to in the background? And that took the test. I think it was in November of 91. And then July of 92, I was sworn in as a Portland police officer. Wow. Um, 
was there, went through all the precincts, uh, on the mountain bike patrol, did that when the transit division, when we had that, and then, uh, you had the opportunity to ride horses in downtown Portland. That was just <laughs> incredible. You know, everybody weighs you with all fine fingers. And when you're in the, in the park or on the parade, you know, yeah, you're yeah, sitting in yeah. the, uh, during the, the, uh, grand floral parade and everybody waves at you and everybody loves you. And it was really fun. You get a protest, they get you one finger wave and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. things go sideways on you. And so, <laughs> yeah. I say that story just because it'll lead into some other stuff that we'll probably be talking about. But back then it was the anarchists and they have transitioned themselves to the Antifa and everything else. And so it's just think, a rebranding. I think it's the same people. Yeah. yeah it's just, say they've been it's, rebranded. It's, it's the same people, different name. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They just go through a rebranding phase. Um, from there, uh, I met my wife. Uh, I got promoted and became a sergeant and then uh, eventually met my wife, Shauna, and she was originally from the gorge and, um, moved to the gorge, got married, uh, ended up in Cascade Locks. And when I was there, because it was approached to different ideas like, Hey, we need some people helping out with some volunteering on some community com- committees. Okay. So I started uh, on the budget committee and then ended up being a planning commissioner. And about that time, uh, Dan Saltzman was the commissioner in charge of the police bureau uh, in the city of Portland. You rode around with me a couple of times. I started talking politics a little bit and the impact and he encouraged me to do stuff. And I was like, all right. And I'd watched at the time, Tom Potter was the chief who swore me in, but he became mayor in Portland and I got to see Mm -hmm. how he held people accountable, especially the department heads there when he had, he had his coffees Mm -hmm. and and watched that. And it's like, Hey, this is, I see what he did with community policing in the Portland police bureau. And he's trying to bring that into the actual city itself and hold people accountable. And I, I admired him for what he did for that. Then, um, while we were there, I ended up, uh, becoming on, get on city council. Uh, then we became a, a member of the board of McKed, which is the mid Columbia economic development district. And people looked at me in the political world, like, Oh, your, your wheelhouse is law enforcement. It is. I, have a, mm-hmm. I can be the technocrat if sure. I want to be that and get in the weeds. But I really recognized what city services were supposed to do. And, and in Cascade Locks, we were lacking some city services, but there was opportunities to bring growth to the community. And that was bringing businesses. So what that did was, is if you bring, brought businesses in, they then would hire people, local people, uh, people get a move in. Then they create a tax base with their property taxes and they're buying the water. They got to using the sewer and they're buying electrical from the city. And so then that increased revenues without mm-hmm. having to burden the household taxpayer. And so that was a good thing. And then really saw how the city, like in Portland, where there's just different areas that were so depressed and businesses mm-hmm. wouldn't be there. They'd have to go drive somewhere else. And so that's where I really got interested in economic development and how that actually helped and how that brings impoverished communities, rises that tide up to get people to work and, and get those good quality paying jobs. Um, so we, uh, my wife and I fast forward, we have uh, our daughter in 20. 12 and then our son came along in 2014 and she got tired of driving to hood river to drop the kids off for daycare <laughs> and then her, her practice in the dowels and so we're moving to hood river yes dear okay we'll get that going <laughs> it, it happened we bought the house at the high in 08 and then or oh, 06 oh, no. and then and then it crashes in 08 and then we're it's like this you know we we're we we're above we we're above water on it but still it's like yeah. you know you kind of walk away just as the market's starting to peak but the house that we bought here in hood river it really worked uh, worked out well. We, um, it was fit, fit our needs and we couldn't afford it now if we had to buy it now. And prices have just gotten so expensive. Yeah. And that's from the influx of people that come up from California, from other places that have money that sell their house for a couple million dollars and they can buy a house here for half of what they sold theirs for. And so you, you see that and tourism's good, but there's a point to where you want to live in your community and be able to work here. And so, yeah. 
Uh, when we moved here, I stepped down from city council um, that I uh, just didn't feel it was right to stay in Cascade Locks, even sure. though I was already elected, so let somebody else govern there. It's the right thing to do. And then um, Mark Johnson the, was the current representative at the time in 2017, uh, decided to step down. I got a couple phone calls from some people. Would you be arrested and put your name in for the hat to become the representative? And I went through a process with three other people, Stan Pulliam and Eric Haney. And we went through the PCP process, and then it went down to basically the county commissioners all went down the line, and I was unanimously voted in to become the state representative. And I had no plans on doing that. I just, you know, <laughs> there was a, you know, preparation and opportunity meet intersected a moment in time, and things happen. And I just, my thing as a police officer was just, I carried that into my job into politics and was very well prepared, and I was asked questions, but. When you went to somebody's door as a police officer, there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And how do you fix it? You want to fix that problem, and then you move on to the next one. And I used that same pragmatic approach in the legislative assembly. And I, for as a freshman lawmaker, when you're in the minority, I was able to get two bills passed. Eagle hmm. Fire Recovery, which got money for Hood River and Multnomah County for training and reimbursement and equipment. And then another one was a school bill where it was the – you're looking at the – schools and seeing what schools were able to retain their teachers and what schools weren't. And so it was a study to say, why are these schools able to retain the teachers? What are they doing right? And then what can we do to improve the schools that are losing their teachers? Mm -hmm. And that then that bill passed, that study was going to be carried to the next level, which would have been, okay, let's implement those strategies statewide. So every school district has the opportunity to get better and get those quality educators in there uh, and retain the quality educators that they have. And it's not always about money. It's about working conditions. It's about mm-hmm. um, feeling valued. And if we're pouring all the money into these schools and we get more money than they've ever had before and we're still at the lowest graduation rates, why is that? What are we, what are we doing wrong? And I quickly learned in the legislative body, if we're serious about funding our schools, let's fund them first. And then work, work it out like a checkbook. This is how much money we have. This is what the revenue forecast is. Let's fund our, our priorities first and then everything else comes in line and there's going to be people that are left out don't, that don't get that money and then let's put some money away for the rainy day fund so that's I, I, that's really interesting to say that I definitely want to get a little bit more into that but I, my wife is a teacher and so she's going through I mean this is still this is September of 2022 and we're having you know post COVID conversations but there's such a shortage there's such it's so mm-hmm. it's just so difficult for so many teachers right now and it ends up being funny because it's she makes fine money. She's not clamoring saying, Oh, I, you know, I, I make so little money. Like traditionally you think of teachers, Oh, they're so underpaid. Yeah. She makes fine money. It's that the resources don't get where they're supposedly trying to go. The state just passed the cat tax uh, one year ago, year and a half ago. Year and a half ago. And okay, all these billions of dollars ostensibly going to education. It's going to PERS. Like my yeah. wife still has, they, they, well, it's not really going to purge because look at those, what's 2019. They took a vote and they hammered the people on uh, the tier three purse. They, on yeah, yeah. they, the, the, oh, all we're going to, all the, gonna, folks, all yeah. the, op, the, everybody on that third tier of purse, they just hammered because it was easy. And the governor at the time says, well, we're just going to, we'll give you a raise. It's okay. Well, no, it doesn't work that way. You yeah. had an agreement. And so they got all of a sudden everybody that got hired and said, this is the deal that we're, we have. Let's, let's do it. All of a sudden got taken away and got the, the rug. Not a single Republican voted for that bill. Sure did. Every Democrat did though. And they were the ones support, they're supposed to be supporting the PERS program and they didn't. And uh, go tell uh, yeah. me that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Figure that one out. But it's just, it's such an interesting conversation vis-a-vis the, the schools because it's, uh, we've, we've, 
you know, we've tried everything. We've tried throwing money at it. We've tried throwing money at it again. We've tried throwing money at it again. And we <laughs> still don't have a solution to this problem. We still have some of the lowest graduation rates in the nation. We still have all these, it's so many different problems that crop up in the school. And it's just, it's, it's Republicans who are the ones who are actually talking about it, actually looking to try to fix it. It's the Democrats who just say, well, just vote for us and give us more money. Yeah. Well, well it's the other part. Problem. The other parts just look at the school boards, how the school board makeup is. That's the deck stacked sometimes. And, mm-hmm. You have to have an even deck, and it's it's supposed to be nonpartisan, yeah. but yet it turns into a partisan position. Then all of a sudden, okay, everything's just swinging one direction. It's like, no, we can't have that. Where's the we? I firmly believe Oregon is more purple than it is red or blue. They just want the people who they elect to go to work, work hard for them, do the right things for the right reason, and then move on and get back to get to back to the business of the people. That's I believe that's what they want. Every door I knock, that's what I hear. Yeah, inflation. We're talking about crime. We're talking about all these things. Let's, but circle back around to schools, right? So I had a bill that a legislative concept that I was going to drop and some people were kind of losing their mind about it. It was right around when you were having these sexual assault allegations with students and the, an athletic director that was out of um, the Portland public school. And there was a pattern and practice of behavior with that person. Hmm. And it took forever and a day to get an investigation done. And I, I looked at it very pragmatically. If there's a police officer that's under investigation, there's a timeline that has to be met. There's benchmarks that, meant, that are met, whatever right. the investigation is, whether it's a frivolous allegation or a serious allegation, there's benchmarks that need to be made. And usually those investigations can be completed within 90 days. And there's a finding that happens. The, the supervisor goes through it. The command goes through it, make a finding. But within 90 days, they have a pretty good idea what's going on. And some of these investigations that happen with some of the people, the people in the school districts gets swept under the rug it just goes on forever they'll just put the person somewhere else same problems happen oh we had no idea it happened why'd you transfer from one school to another school and you have the same problems mm-hmm. you know right yeah. so who knew yeah who would have thought that and so where's the accountability and i think that's where the parents have lost a lot of faith in the school system not just how they're what they're being taught but how the personnel decisions are made and I get it. People have tenure. They have union protections. Let's make sure those protections are in place, but have a solid investigation when there's an outcome. If you're going to hold police officers to a standard, you should be able to hold those teachers to a standard too, because they're the ones teaching our kids mm-hmm. every day. They're in the classroom every day with them. And that, yeah, as so many different professions have so many different, you know, like accountability yeah. measures. And I, I work as a financial advisor. And if I, if I take my cell phone out on camera in the bank that I work at, that's, oh boy, I can't be doing that. Yeah. Okay. You could be yeah. taking pictures of people's information. So many different ways yeah. of going through and checking in on things. And it's it, like you say, you come at it from the background of a police officer. I, you know, if somebody gets shot, somebody gets robbed, somebody, there's a crime committed. Okay. Let's figure out what happened. Let's solve it. Let's put the guy in jail that did it, whatever it is. And if, if you, if that's your mindset, there are problems. Let's go solve them. I'm going to work how to solve them. If the mindset is I've got this vehicle and I can use it to make things more equitable or I can solve yeah. for uh, past racial discrepancies or whatever, and you're not actually focusing in on the problem at hand, there's some 30,000 foot pie in the sky. And I'm not saying obviously we don't want things to be oh, equitable. Yeah. We don't want to teach about things the same way that we used 50 years or whatever. But it, like you have to be able to, you, you got to do the job that you were sent to do. Yeah. You have a, you have the, you have an overhorizonal vision that, hey, this is the end goal what we want mm-hmm. what's our pathway to get there and let's get there and and that's the, the only way you're going to see that in politics is if we're able to be equals in the house and the senate 
that we have to work together where you get close to that 30, 30 split, you know, 28, 32, you know, 15, 15, 16, 15 in the Senate. And if, you know, if Christine Drazen is able to, to become governor, you know, we can get some stuff done. We're able to sit there and legislate as Republicans. Yeah. We can actually go out and do the job and we're going to be held accountable and we can't fail. This is a no, this is a no fail mission because <laughs> if we get the keys, we have to drive it in a manner and we have to drive it. Yeah. So everybody's, we got everybody there. And I get it. You know what? We're not going to agree on everything. And my wife and I are remodeling a house. We're almost to the end of it. And if I can get to 50% on agreement on something like the paint color of the house, or <laughs> yeah, the color, you know, Hey, we're there. But you know, if you look at the Democrats and their voting records, 95, 99% of the time they're voting party lines. Like really? I mean, I think I go, I was in the low seventies voting party lines when I was in just because that bill made sense. I'm going to vote for it. Yeah. Okay. Period, not, the, you're not gonna, I was never told how to vote. I was never, the only thing I was ever asked was if you, if you're going to vote for a bill, don't let it out. Don't hold the vote, hold your vote just because we may need to do, Hey, if we can give them X amount of votes for this, they give a couple people for this. Sure. We're able to move some bills out of committee. Okay. Fair enough. But they never told me how to vote. Leader mm. McLean never told me how to vote, never asked me to vote a certain way, but he only asked to hold the vote if they need to have a vote count to see where we're at. Yeah. That was it. And, but you look at the other side, the gavel before it hit the third, the, her third bang on the, on the, up there in the gavel. If the speaker didn't get the votes that they needed, they'd hold it. Pull people in, and I'd watch people come crying out of the office. I'm like, "Why'd you vote for that? That was dumb." I was just we, Andrea Salinas, probably yeah. the the congresswoman from CD6. That there was, there's pictures of her coming out on the floor after a meeting with Tina Kotek in tears, yeah, because Tina Kotek, her speaker, her own party's leader, not an opposition member, reduced her to tears. And now this is obviously this is a woman who could be our next governor. And it's just like, my God, the the level of of top down arm twisting dictatorial yeah. Yeah. and yeah. it's just like oh my, and 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 we're the bad guys as republicans we're the the conniving money burns suit wearing and it's just like <laughs> oh my god this is so far from well, actual I, reality you know it's it's, yeah. it's it's terrible policy and it's it's terrible from a human standpoint but i almost wonder if this is why the democrats are so successful in oregon is because they are very tops down they're very do what you're told they're very you know very organized and there's this power structure in place I mean, you are expected if you're going to win a, a legislative seat, you know, you are expected to be on city council. You're expected to be on a school board. You know, there's a pathway to get you up. And on the Republican side, you're just kind of, we find somebody a lot yeah, of the well, time. I think we're getting better at that. You know, people, it's, I think a lot of times you just want to go out and help your community. That, yeah, that, yeah, was, yeah. that was, that oh, was, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, not, yeah, not talking yeah, about you, talking, but like, I'm just, I think in general, like, whether you're Republican or Democrat, you just want to help your community. But there are those people that have the ulterior motives that, Oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to, this is how I'm going to ladder climb. And I remember sitting down with, uh, at the time, Speaker, uh, Kotek and talked to her about some things. And the one of the questions was, well, this isn't my last stop when she's referring to being speaker of the sure. house. Yeah. Okay. You got something going on. In D- I'm thinking to myself, you got something going on in DC and stuff. And then all of a sudden, Oh, I'm going to be governor now oh. you know, shoot for that. And so great, whatever, you know, but do the right things for the right reasons, not just for a power structure. Let's, if we're here yeah. serving the people, let's do that. Mm-hmm. You know, let's, if you wake up in the morning and do something for somebody else other than yourself. And when you go to bed at night, did you accomplish that? And I try to do that. I'm not successful at it all the time, but if I did something for somebody else and it was genuine, 
let's do that. Let's make it better. So that's actually, I'd be curious for your thoughts on that because I, I think there's, there's a lot of politicians who like the look of the next rung up the ladder. There's a lot of state representatives who say, boy, I could run for Congress. There's a lot of congressmen who say, boy, I could be a United States senator. There's a lot of senators who say, boy, I could be the president someday. And somebody has to go in and do that. If, yeah. if a senator's retiring, somebody's got to go in and run and replace him. But how do you go in and, in an election, in a campaign, talk to voters and say, look, it's not important that you vote for the guy. You know, he served four terms in Congress, so he's qualified to be the senator. Whereas, but he didn't actually do anything in the job. Whereas there are, there are individuals like yourself who actually, who will go out and say, look, I, this is a community service role. I don't care what my party says about thing A or thing B. I'm going to do what's right, what I believe is right and what I think is best for the, the area that I live in and the constituents that I'm serving. How, how do you go about getting uh, some kind of process where those individuals are the ones who are getting elected? They're the ones getting the attention. They're getting the money. They're getting the grassroots support. How do you make sure that the, the cream rises to the top? I think. When the cream rises at the top, when you have primaries and, you know, I didn't have a primary. Um, and then this last one, I had a primary. There was three of us that put our name in the hat. And by that vote count, you know, I worked my tail off. I wanted to go do things. I was doing things for the right reasons. And people can see through a fraud. You can, mm-hmm. the people know when they're getting, when somebody's not being, uh, forthright, you know, not being intellectually honest about what they're talking about. Right. And they're genuine. And I have everything I can do. I can back up what I've done. And I've got a voting record. I've done these things. And I want to get back down there and serve the people. And so how do you do that and get those people? You you find people that want to do it for the right reasons and they're into it for the right reasons. I mean, you're always going to find somebody that's going to say, yeah, I'm in, I'm in this. And they've done everything just right, that pathway, and they get there. And mm-hmm. They'll get sniffed out. They eventually will. Hey, but to get to say, how do you you... you get the bench deep for people coming up. I don't know the answer to that. I know the Democrats have it all figured out. You know, there's yeah, a pathway, there's a class Go to, if you want to do these things, do this. And it's like, are you doing it because you got an ego or are you doing it because you want to help? And you know, Mike Reese, uh, I worked for him at a couple different levels when he was a Sergeant and Lieutenant and the police bureau. And he eventually was the chief and all those things. And he and I talked when I was the sheriff, when I was worked for him as a deputy after he retired from the police bureau in 17, he says, I, I resigned because I said, Hey, I can't work as a de- sheriff's deputy. And, and then the elections happen. And cause I just don't want anything to, to come against your office. Cause you're going to be running too. And I wouldn't put it past somebody to try to set me up on a use of force call or something. Oh, that's the guy that's running for office. And then he uses mm. force. It's on video and it goes sideways. I wanted nothing to do with that. And, but two, I'd been away from law enforcement, uh, you know, for a couple months and I sat down and had breakfast, lunch and dinner with my wife and kids, which should never happen like on a normal <laughs> schedule. Cause I was either on nights or afternoons. Like, Oh my gosh, this is so awesome. And my kids were little. And it's like, this is what life's about. Right. And so, you know, you get asked, well, why do you want to, uh, why do you want to run again? Well, I want to have a seat at the table, have a voice, have that reasonable voice. But I look at my two little ones, my, well, they're not little anymore. They're eight and 10, but that's what I'm doing it for. I want to leave this place better than what we had. And I want to have them have good opportunities and have those job opportunities. I mean, here in Hood River, you know, the aerospace industry is huge. You, you know, you have in situ across the uh, river that's owned by Boeing. That was a local company mm-hmm. created here. You've got camera, ma- camera manufacturers here that UAV or manned aircraft. There's a lot of stuff that goes on here. Rockwell Collins is here. Uh, Collins Aerospace is here. And so those are some big names in the uh, defense industry and in aerospace industry that are here. And so this is a place you can, you can get at that job, but 
why can't everybody get that? And so we talk about schools. And so when I left office, right? So mm-hmm. I, when I, when I was here, I really looked at the UAV industry. I'm a private pilot. I had an airplane. I sold it, but I had one airplane and I just loved aviation. That's how I ended up here at the airport working. But to backtrack, I was, uh, noticed the community college in, uh, the Dalles, the Columbia River, Columbia Gorge Community College. They had an apprenticeship program that was it's a program for the technicians to work on the wind turbines. Um, they created a program, a one-year thing, and because they saw the need and the, the need for it, and the and their works, their um, school works pro- or school works, their mechanical projects basically and stuff, and those job projects. And I was working with a guy by the name of Dan Spatz, and I got him involved with the aviation stuff. And I said, Hey, we're when I got out of office, I'm like, we're short A and P's. We need to get uh, uh, your mechanics you, you, to work on the air power, air pl- their, you know, power plant and inspection authority mechanics for the aircraft. And can you set up the program like you did for the wind turbines and stuff? I think we can. So I helped them through that process because I knew the levers to pull the people to talk to. And now all of a sudden, a couple of years later, they've got an A&P program out there that they're able to get mechanics and fast track a mechanic school to get it done in a year where you get veterans in that, that you know, hey, I got a family. I need to support my family. I can't go to a two-year school or two and a half years, but hey, we can get you down and condensed into a year and go and get your credentials and get you working. And so those are those opportunities that were there. I mean, the John Deere dealerships, they can't find mechanics to come out and work out in the, the smaller communities out there mm-hmm. and so they're trying to mentor and have those those programs and have the apprenticeship programs well now the community college has opened up another door in aviation it's going to be a big boon out here cool and th- this is the thing that drives me absolutely insane is and i, I we as republicans are, are i don't want to say as guilty of it we are slightly guilty of it too but <laughs> when democrats drive Oh, the Dobbs decision. Oh, you vote for a Republican and they're going to take away your right to choose and they're going to send you back to the Stone Age as a woman. And isn't Donald Trump such a bad guy? And, you know, he the January state and all this stuff. And when you when you try to nationalize things, when you have everything 30,000 foot and everything like that, instead of just saying, okay, you know, you say whatever you want to about me and abortion, about me and Donald Trump and whatever. But. Look, I'm a Republican. I'm running in this race because if I do this, if we set up this program, that's a school where there's going to be 30 good jobs for folks to teach people how to come in and come through. And then there's going to be a class of 15 or 20 or 50 people who come through every year who can come in and fill out these jobs that we've got because now we've got industry here. And that, and it's it's not about pie in the sky stuff. It's not about these big, you know, philosophical debates of our time. Are you pro-life or pro-choice? There's so many Republicans that are looking to come in and have programs exactly like that that make their community a better place. You're yeah. driving business development. You're driving. You're creating jobs. You're helping out veterans. I'm pointing at James because he served three <laughs> tours in Afghanistan. But it's just like there's so many nuts and bolts things that can make a difference, a, a massive impact in the lives of so many folks. And if you're a Democrat, all you care about is, uh, well, are you pro-life or pro-choice? Well, I want to walk back to that one. But the other part, we'll talk about economic development. So. Um, in 2017, the tax, the tax code was changed and, uh, the 2017 tax act happened. And with that was the thing called opportunity zones. And those opportunity zones were for businesses to come in to a depressed community or depressed area that was, um, identified by the census tracks. And if a company, a community came in and reinvested their money, they wouldn't get capital gains tax on their, their money they took out from one business to reinvest into another one. And after so many years, they wouldn't have to pay it. It was a sliding scale. Every year you're there, one less notch on the tax bracket. It came down and down after X amount of years, you didn't have to pay money. You didn't have to pay any interest on your capital gains or penalty on your capital gains. Mm -hmm. And so I saw that. I'm like, oh, wow, that's a big deal. 
And there's some census tracts here in the Hood River. You wouldn't think it, but there's some census tracts in here that are part of the a lower that could that fit that economic development opportunity that's there. But Cascade Locks wasn't there. Cascade Locks got stuck in a different census tract that showed that they weren't an economically depressed community. I'm like, how do we fix this? So reached across the river to some of my colleagues over there. Uh, Senator Thompson and myself wrote some letters, not only to the Oregon governor, to Kate Brown at the time, or to Kate Brown, uh, but to the Washington governor. Like, hey, can you change the census tract? Put cascade locks in there and kind of change these around because this just doesn't fit right. So now all of a sudden we have the census tract that's in cascade locks, hmm. but there's businesses that are investing there. There's businesses that are investing here in Hood River, but yet... The census tract, they changed some st- stuff at the Port of Portland. I'm like, that is just not, that's not what it was about. That the, <laughs> the Port of Portland, you know, their airport's a, a billion dollar industry. I mean, all yeah. those aircraft coming in and out. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a number that I can't remember that number it is, but it is a big number. Mm-hmm. Uh, the jobs, the economic driving force that's out there. Great. We need it, but that's a big number. We're talking about that's local not, communities yeah, and jobs here. That's yeah. not the purpose. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, change the subject a little bit. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you, since you're, you know, former Portland police officer and <laughs> yeah. Portland police are kind of uh, front page of the news relatively frequently anymore. I, how do we fix Portland? What do you think of the issue with the, the police versus Antifa versus the city council and the union? And like, there's just, uh, that, there's a lot, to, there's a lot to impact there. Yeah. So <laughs> let, let's talk about. We'll talk about how this kind of all started with the George Floyd thing. That was just, that was not acceptable. You you don't do that. And people had a right to be mad. But what they didn't have a right to do is burn, loot, and kill. Mm -hmm. And the defund the police movement now has shown that it doesn't work. And you look at the uh, Seattle. That's a prime example. The chop zone, all that other stuff, all that silliness. But we'll talk about specifically the Portland Police Bureau. I spent 25 years there mm-hmm. and I watched that city blossom through the gang, uh, gang stuff. They moved beyond that, had controlled a lot of that and beautiful city. And then all of a sudden, uh, President Trump gets elected and people lose their minds. And it's like a light switch. You watch a car dealership in ruins down there when they're burning that. But you can backtrack to the, the precursor to that, which was the Occupy Portland event. Mm-hmm. And I was that sergeant that got put, pushed into TriMet, moving, moving TriMet bus and got a concussion out of it and rocked my world. And that's really what changed the dynamics of how we were dealing with those protesters. And so it, there's, from when I was on horses, mountain bikes to horses, it's the same actors. They're just rebranding themselves. And so yeah. they finally got what they wanted. And now the citizens are like, no, we don't want that. And if you look at the defund the movement, uh, we take money away, do this and do that. All right. Well, my former colleagues are just sitting there waiting to take a call because they don't have enough support. They are every time they're looking, it's like, is this decision going to impact my longevity and career as a police officer? And do I really want that? And I was in charge of the, uh, I was a sergeant in charge of the personnel division in charge of recruiting. And we recruited good officers there. We had, we were almost, we're like 20 officers away from being fully staffed. And then, the, then the, this, those riots happened and everything else happened when Trump and then I left and then the Antifa stuff happened. And so we get back to what changed as well. They did one, one measure 110. That's a big thing. Decriminalizing drugs. Mm-hmm. That has just been horrendous. You've got a district attorney that doesn't want to prosecute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He'll prosecute everybody else. But if it comes to a protest, oh, I'm just expressing my free speech. No, they're burning stuff. It's not expressing That's free not speech. At all. And then you've got your city council that ebb and flows, whatever, whatever they, they say. I mean, let's, let's face it. They get a hundred and some thousand dollars a year for being a city council member down there. And they're running these businesses and they have a lot of more business savvy in the sense yeah, of running a CEO. They know what they're doing. They're yeah. doing. That, that's got to change. But then you have the legislative body changing the laws. Like this is the silliest one I've ever heard. 
you can't pull somebody over for a primary reason for not having their headlights on. Let's talk about headlights for a quick second. You need them to see. Most cars have headlights that are automatically on there unless it's an older car, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're not driving with your headlights on, that may be, you might be drunk. You've been impaired, forgot to turn your headlights on. That's a problem because mm-hmm. you're going to run somebody over and kill somebody. That's a homicide. Or you have your lights off because some type of nefarious activity. Mm-hmm. You're going to roll around. You're a gangster or a criminal looking to case a house, getting a shooting. Because I can tell you right now when they're rolling around and they're shooting people in Portland, they're not driving with their lights on. Mm-hmm. And so, and then the third, just I forgot to turn them on. Okay. That's got, I got a problem there. Sure. My headlights burned out. All right. Fair enough. Go get it fixed. Yeah, get yeah. it fixed. Here's your fix-it ticket. But cops are so worried about how they're going to be judged and what the, tw- the hindsight, 2020 hindsight. You know, in the moment, this is what I saw. But you have to ask yourself, why has the city of Portland drugged their feet so long on body cams? I know officers, because we had, we had camera, we had camera cars that had the cameras on them and had the audio. And it was like a basically big body cam, but you'd put it in position, watch people do their silliness and they mm-hmm. make a complaint. You watch the videos like, well, you were doing the silliness. I don't, yeah. I don't think so. But if you had a body cam and you had that on and then it's the independent third eye. So just a witness. And, see, I don't understand that because I feel like that's a non or a bipartisan thing of body cams. Oh, I yeah. feel like police want it. The Antifa wants it. The city can like it, it seems like city council is the only people who don't want body cams. Yeah, because <laughs> everybody fit, else it wants fit, body cams. Fit their narrative. Well, the police was rude to me. Well, let's hit the tape. See what the tape says. Instant replay. Ruben. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Instant replay. All of a sudden, and so then you've got. Um, I mean, state patrol wears them. Hoover County sheriffs wear them. Hoover yeah. uh, the city wears them. The Dallas wears them. Wasco County. Everybody's got them. But oh, it's a storage issue. Oh, it's this issue. Oh, wait a minute. Is it is a storage issue that. or is it just a <laughs> is it just an issue because now all of a sudden if there's an allegation oh oh wait a minute I guess they didn't say that the the person was not being truthful when they made the complaint because they just wanted to get yeah. back at the officer and that happens it does yeah I think I think you're absolutely right that would solve a lot of problems um, one ten I think was an absolute disaster I, still is it, it still you is know. yeah I can't imagine like you're shooting up heroin on the sidewalk and it's a hundred dollar ticket and you told to make a phone call and the cop just hands it to you and walks away like it's just it it it, it takes away it, it it takes away one of the tools in the toolbox of getting people oh, sober yeah, sober it, and it, that that's like the big thing to, it's a huge thing it's i want to roll back i remember at the time chief reese um mentioned that Hey, you can, the skyline was changing in Portland. It's going to look a lot like Vancouver. And when I was on horses, we went up to Vancouver, BC mm-hmm. and got to watch what basically was their old town, Chinatown district. And everybody's openly drinking drugs or openly drinking or doing drugs. I'm like, Hey, we're going to do anything about this. Oh no, it's just, we just ignore it. I'm like, what? You ignore it. <laughs> a couple of years later, Chief Reese says that. And, and then all of a sudden we see it. It's just kind of moved down this attitude. Oh, it's just drugs. It's not that big a deal. Well, you know what? There's a cop episode that's drugs are a problem and you end up somewhere and it's not that person's fault. Well, yeah, it is their fault. They're the ones that took the drug. They may have been coerced, something like that. But the thing of it is, is they may never know they have an addictive personality until it's too late. Mm-hmm. That early and often intervention at the level in schools and, hey, this is what drugs can do. Just be aware. And then that continued part of that. But they're, they're worried about making sure people can wear whatever color, uh, clothes they want or whatever bathrooms they want more than so what's the what's the welfare of the kids about what what's doing what are we doing right by our children yeah and you know there's so many people that just have to hit rock bottom before they 
realize they have a problem mm-hmm. and and you know drugs will ruin your life one way or the other yeah. and so it's it's far better for a lot of people and this is this is a like not there's no silver bullet nope. like if there was we would have solved drugs by now <laughs> but there isn't so for a lot of people some people it doesn't work but for other people it does and getting hitting that point where you're like oh shoot this is my life now and yep. having to then recognize where you are is is incredibly valuable well so and alternatively on the other side of the coin doing nothing it turns out does not actually solve the problem yeah. which is currently what the city of portland and multnomah county and what everybody who's anybody just oh boy like isn't this so bad that this is what we're kind of devolving into that's really a shame Ring and our hands about yeah, yeah. there's yeah. never an effort to say well let's build some places where people can heal let's find some you know let's it's got to be wraparound services there's, it's got to be a yes. multi-pronged approach yeah. mm-hmm. but one of the things that we did i was a sergeant in our school police division and um some people came up with an idea talking about drugs and how bad they are. We had the faces of meth program. Well, somebody had an idea to take it a step further where we, at the time we had their cool little cameras could take videos at the time. And it was before we had the cell phones, but we would then ask somebody, Hey, can we videotape you? Uh, if you could give a message back to yourself when you were a kid or when you were in high school and what would you say? And usually some people are missing their teeth. They're 50 years old. Mm-hmm. Like this is what was bad. I was, I got hooked on marijuana and this went downhill for me there. Or I remember having a, 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 a woman that was uh, couch surfing and talked about how she started her twin sisters, gave her a smoke of marijuana. And then she went on to cocaine and then she ended up getting just a smart person and had a lot of good stuff going on, but got a knee injury from snowboarding, boogered it up, lost her insurance and she ends up on opioids and then heroin mm-hmm. addiction. And, but these were these small snippet of videos where we took a snapshot in somebody's life at their lowest point and said, all right, tell us about yourself. How did you get into drugs? What was the first drug you used? How long have you used drugs? Do you sell stuff? Do you steal things? You know, women, do you use prostitution activities to feed your habit? All those things. And it's a five minute snippet. And it wasn't, once we videotaped it, we'd show it to the students around the different school districts. And I did it here locally because this is where my community was. Mm-hmm. And people got really wide eyed. Like, you know, you can go down the route of, Oh, is marijuana addictive? You know, is it a gateway drug or not? I, I have my opinions on it and people have their opinions on it too, but it's, there's a, an addic- addictive personality that you mean the trait you may not know. And then all of a sudden you're down this road, but I had people come up to me like, Hey, thanks for telling me that I had an opportunity. I could try drugs, but I didn't cause I saw what it did to somebody. I didn't want to end like that. Yeah. Good for you. That was Aaron Sorkin gave a commencement speech at Stanford and he said, you know how I found out I was addicted to cocaine is I tried it. And that's some people that's that is all it takes. And maybe it's if it's drugs, if it's porn, if it's cheeseburgers, if it's a number of different things, anybody can fall victim to any number of things. And it just happens in the blink of an eye. And it's just, it's absolutely incredible how quick these things oh, can happen. And I, the, yeah. you don't know until you know. I mean, I've had kidney stones, right? And so a kidney stone, they put you on that morphine drip, mm-hmm. uh, hit it. Oh, okay. Wow. That's, wow, that's, <laughs> yeah. I, I feel it. I don't care. Oh, but I, I relate that person. Now. I relate that, that experience. Like, okay, I can see how people can get addicted to this because you just don't care. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So I, so let me ask if, if you are, you're, you're currently running, knock wood, you'll win, currently running for, for a seat in the state house. Is there a uh, two years from now or four years, eight, six, well, yeah, however long you, you decide that you want to serve, serve your constituents? Is there a, uh, an overarching project that it is that you say, I, you know, this is the thing that's wrong with my community that I need to go and fix. Somebody needs to go and make it better. And our current representation is not doing it. Or are you, is it going to be dedicated to constituent services and find, you know, projects along the way, things here and there? I think it's, it's going to be, I see 
how do we make our schools better? That's, you know, do we, does the, does the money follow the kids? Do we have, what are our outcomes? I think a lot of our times when we are spending the taxpayer dollars, what are the outcomes? How are we proving what these outcomes are? And that to me is a big deal. If we are entrusted to take people's money and spend it wisely and invest it in the right projects, what are the outcomes from that? If the outcomes aren't positive, let's stop spending that money and figure out how we can reallocate it and make a better project. And retool it. I mean, to me, that's the overarching. That's, let's not waste dollars. Let's figure out the project. But I'd love to have some pet projects here. Can I get money for the bridge, the Hood River Bridge? That needs money because it needs to be replaced. I would love to be in my terms, however many years I serve, that I get to serve this community until they decide, nope, we've had enough of Jeff. You, you, we believe in term limits. You're gone. There we Great. Go. Yeah. Thank you. But, you know, but fix this. But I would like, you know, I think the long term is you know, our bridges, our infrastructure. That's a big mm-hmm. one, getting that funding. And it's just not at the state level because all you're going to hear about is that I-5 thing. You're not going to hear yep. about the Hood River yeah. Bridge or the Dalles. <laughs> yep. You're not going to hear about those because that's not the news. And that's why is there's 30 representatives that are in, you know, the Portland metro area right there because that's where the power base that's is That's what it is. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you right now that I-5 bridge is not going to happen. They're just like, this is my prediction, my crystal ball it's going to be a, a, the same thing that happened 10 years ago where they're going to spend $200 million on studies and then it'll never happen. All right. Well, someday so, let's right. get sponsored by DraftKings. We can set a line for this or something. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll take the other side I, just because there's too much money. But It was a, just interesting that you're, there's a very Republican response of, I want to make sure the money is spent properly and if the, you know, a thing isn't, isn't working well, we unfund it and we move the money somewhere else. I feel like on the other side of the aisle, Democrats see their effectiveness by how much money they can spend on something. Yeah, absolutely. They, they don't look at it as how effective is this? How many people did we help? You know, how many bridges do we build? It was how much money do we spend on X project? And that mentality in a vacuum or in a single party state, as we, as we see, ends up with just so much fraud, waste, and abuse yeah. of just money being thrown after project, good money after bad, grifters, people taking money, and not even not even um, nefarious uh, people, just Oh, here's a grant. Let's mistakes. apply for this grant and see what happens. Yeah, just, yeah. just mistakes, just people who are not held accountable, and that's what happens. What happens is you get with just incredibly high taxes, low services, and wasted money, and they keep talking about abortion and that's how we don't <laughs> it's, it's so uh, the roe v way and get that at the door it's like do you understand that it's protected under the oregon constitution it's yeah. it's it's written into law that nothing somebody saw that uh the democrat the pro-choice person whatever and they got it it's passed and so mm-hmm. now this opens up a conversation but i think if you the conversation what people want that to look like but it's more do people really realize that you can have a late term or partial birth abortion in Oregon and it's okay? And let's describe what that is. And people look at you like, oh my God, I didn't have no idea. I said, yeah, 85 for 80% that. of the other people in Oregon don't think that's right either. But yet they want to do that. Yet then, then they want to make a clinic out in Eastern Oregon so people from Idaho and wherever else can come in and use public tax dollars to pay for that. And then you can't even, you have people can't even put food on the, their table right now. They're yeah. wasting tax dollars. It's like, really? We, yeah. We're going to talk about that. Let's. Let's talk about what matters right now. Crime. Let's talk about the inflation. Let's talk about all those things that people bother or people are so upset with. The homeless issue. There's people that are homeless because they want to be, or there's mm-hmm. people that need help. How do we get that? But how do we get people on their feet so they just don't? What's the motivating factor to get them out of the tent city or wherever they're at yeah. so they can be productive and be on their own and not have to worry about all the tax dollars? Well, that's drugs. 
I mean, oh, yeah. that, that is the problem yep. with homelessness. It's not a homelessness problem. It's, it's a drug problem. Absolutely. And it's, and it's how do you get these people provide enough incentives, whether carrots or sticks to get them help, the help yep. that they need, because that's, that's what they need. Well, we are getting toward the end of the podcast. So one of the things we like to do at the end of the podcast is ask our guests who their favorite Republican is. And so if you have somebody, you know, living or dead, current, Present, hey, past. We, we, you know. we go all the way back to this guy named Lincoln. You know, we yeah. got that guy. <laughs> the original. The, the original. We got that guy. He's, he did a lot of good stuff. But, you know, I think in, in modern history, I, and it's my lifetime, I look at Ronald Reagan. Because mm-hmm. here's a guy that actually instituted change. He was, quote, the actor. But he knew how to get some things done. And he got some stuff done. And he, I was in, uh, in the military when the Berlin Wall came down. Yeah. Mr. Gorbachev, bring this wall down. I was like, I got a piece of that wall sitting on my in my bookcase from there. So, <laughs> you know, cool. I was in the first Gulf War and all those things. I got my little mementos here and there, but I got a piece of that, the Berlin Wall. It's kind of neat. So he did a lot for us. I mean, he modernized mm-hmm. us. He got us back out of Vietnam. And so I look at him as probably somebody that I could really look to and learn a lot from. And people, he had some great quotes. He had some good one-liners. Yeah. Won the Cold War. Our any leadership from uh, from either party could uh, could take some lessons from that these days. And we let there's strong men bullies around the world, and they just kind of tramps all over everything. And yeah. Ronald Reagan said, "Yeah, I don't I don't know about this." Yeah, Star Wars. Not, but I remember I remember when they took the alert aircraft uh, off alert at Fairchild. He had bombers that were uploaded for the alert aircraft, and they had the the weapon storage area and all that. And you know, you had a red line, white or white line, red line, white line. Like you walk across there, you get shot, and yeah. you know, in the those those areas like that gone just one day poof huh. they downloaded the nukes and they downloaded the aircraft and they put everything away and it's like you walk around there like oh, no big deal here we go it's like <laughs> wow that was just different but our property back huh. home in nebraska has missile silos still on it you can hear that the rumbling you can of those generators them. you yeah. can buy them you can buy old missile silos that yeah that- but i remember parking next to that and waiting for something when the tractor broke down and i was kind of walking around and you could run the perimeter fence where there was at in our wheat field and you just hear the rumble of those the generators down Jeez. there rumbling up it's just once you know what sits underneath the ground, it's like it's pretty ominous. Yeah, the power and destructive power of that what that does. Like, well, yeah, well, that's it's a real leadership to keep those things in the ground and not bring us to World War Three. Yeah, absolutely Very true. Well, Jeff, uh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Um, this has been a lot of fun coming out here to Hood River and talking okay. with you. And uh, good luck on your on your thanks. run. Uh, one thing we didn't really talk about you you lost your last election by seventy eight votes. I had to flip 45 votes or I'd be a legislator. legislator. And then yeah. there was a libertarian candidate that they uh, put his name in the hat. And he, when I called him later when we were you know, curing the ballots, well, I was told you're going to lose by 2,000 votes. So it didn't matter if I put my name in the hat or not. I'm like, oh. And I didn't pick up on that, but I went down. Hey, here's the thing. You yeah. are, there's a calm pond and you were that pebble that caused that ripple effect. And now that ripple effect is if I'm in office, could have had a different speaker of the house. Yeah. Our district lines could not have been changed because we may have had a different speaker. And that there's that's that ripple effect. But all those things, you know what? That's why I'm back. I, I got to burn my saddle. We're going to win this. But, you know, if anybody wants to know about me, you can visit my Facebook page or go to healthrichfororegon.com. And if anybody's out there, it takes money to get the message out. And whatever donations you can handle, you can mm-hmm. send my way. Please do. We have to win this. We have an opportunity to take the governor. We can win the Senate by a plus one. And we, we can get close to even in the House. And if we get that... We get a chance to govern and we can turn this. It's like an off. It's like being on an on ramp or off ramp. There's this off ramp that's going way left. And if we can get it back to the center where we can do things right, yeah. we have that opportunity to go down that freeway and do it right. That's it. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, again, thanks for, for coming on the show and listeners. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks guys. Thanks for listening to the rational Republican podcast. Your hosts are James Ball and Nick Perlosky. 
The show today is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors of Portland, serving the greater Portland metro area for all your garage door installation and repair needs. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email us at james at jamesaball.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can find our episodes at jamesaball.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts.